Welcome to Insights into ESG, a new podcast series brought to you by KPMG and the Crown Dependencies. Earlier this year, we launched KPMG Impact, bringing together new and existing ESG commitments under one umbrella. In each episode, we'll discuss the many different aspects of ESG with our guests, how they're reacting to the challenges and how they are adapting to the new business environment around them. Welcome to the KPMG Insights into ESG podcast. I'm Harry Briggs, an Associate Director in the Jersey office of our Crown Dependencies firm. As part of our KPMG Impact Initiative, we're taking a look at ESG through different lenses over this series. And today I'm joined by my colleagues Arnold van Dijk from our Cayman Islands practice and Rashid Freemat from our Guernsey office. How are you guys doing today? Very well. Very Hi, how are you? Really well, good, thank thanks. You, Harry. Good, glad you're both doing well. Great. So, Arnold, I invited you on to talk about incorporating ESG into the investment strategy. But before we get into that, I know you've been working in KPMG sustainability teams in the Netherlands and Canadian practices before you recently relocated to Cayman. So I just wanted to start by asking, in your experience across those jurisdictions, how engaged are institutional investors with ESG? Great, great question, uh, Harry, and, and uh, thanks for being on today. Um, I think you know if if one thing became very clear out of the of the COVID pandemic, it is the importance of ESG uh, integrating environmental, social, and governance factors into your investments. Um, twenty twenty saw a record inflow of ESG funds into ESG funds, and the trends you know really point to that this only will will keep growing. Um, and I think there are there are a couple of drivers behind that um, that you could sort of largely bucket into sort of three three categories. Um, one is uh, financial return. The second one is is really societal expectations, and the other one is sort of you know the impacts of ESG factors on on uh, financial um, stability of um, you know the the, the, the economies that uh, that we that we you know I worked in, but that we are exposed to globally. So financial return, the first one, I think there is mounting evidence and and research consensus that really points to sort of you know that ESG provides sort of downside protection as well as you know, can be a source of alpha. Um, there was already sort of a, a big meta study in in 2015 done by Deutsche, uh, really looking at 2,000 empirical studies, and it really sort of you know um, uh, found the, that the case for ESG investing was very well founded. New York Stern, uh, uh, NYU Stern did a did a recent study of of it um, looked at thousands empirical studies. Uh, and confirmed again, sort of, you know, from an ESG perspective, from a financial perspective, it's really good to, there's a good case to to integrate ESG factors into your investments. I think the second point, so financial returns are becoming clearer and clearer. The second point really about societal expectations that are changing. I think when you look at, for example, beneficiaries, they expect their pensions to be invested in a certain way more and more, and they're getting more vocal about it. Employees want to work at organizations that address ESG um, on, on a day-to-day um, basis. Um, we see countries and companies aligning them with the, themselves with, with, the, with the aim to get to net zero by 2050, for example. So I think there, there's, there's on various aspects, you know, really a change in, in the societal expectations and, 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 and beneficiaries, employees, others are getting more vocal about it as well. And then I think there's the third element is is really that the impact of ESG factors on the financial stability becomes clearer and clearer. We saw that you know in the global financial crisis, we saw that we see that currently today in the pandemic, and we will see that you know with climate as well. And that is I think where where regulators start to play a role uh, more increasingly going forward as well. So um, I think there are, these are the big drivers behind sort of you know investor appetite for for integrating ESG factors. 
Yeah, I think there's some really good points in there. Um, and it's definitely the societal piece is, is definitely what we've seen a lot of um, this side of the pond as well. And I guess I was just thinking about that. And in your experience, are you seeing that that societal piece is driving different institutional investors to behave differently towards ESG? So maybe pension funds that are at the coal face of it, for example, and maybe slightly further ahead than, than other institutions? Yeah, good, good, good question. Great question. I, I think when you look historically, um, um, pension funds are, you know, and, and large institutional investors that have longer time frames have have been longer in this space are more experienced. I think when you really go back to the to the seventies, eighties, it was more more the ethical investors that were sort of at the genesis of sort of integrating ESG considerations into sort of you know investments. Um, but but certainly, um, large institutional investors like pension pension plans have been, uh, you know, over the last decade, I would say, really building out their their capabilities and capacity. But generally speaking, I would say if you look, for example, at just the signatories of the UN Principles for Responsible Investment, which is really sort of you know the the body that that um, that provides the, the principles of how to integrate actually sort of you know uh, ESG into your into your investments. If you look at their membership alone, um, it's it's over 3,000 signatories of and that includes asset owners, asset managers. It has I think over 500 asset owners to date, uh, 100 uh, trillion in assets under management. Um, and, and just the last year, I think uh, uh, an additional 100 asset owners signed up for, for you know, compliance with, with UMPRI. So I think I would say, yes, historically, it was, it was certainly within in certain groups. And, and you saw more advanced practices with, with investors that had longer time horizons. Uh, but I think um, what we are seeing to date is, is that it is really across the board, I would say. And you will be quite hard pressed to find sort of a good quality investor that is not thinking about ESG or, or already, already uh, practicing it. Okay, yeah. So, Rashid, how does that really tally with what we're seeing from our client base then? Well, certainly the expectation from investors, and that's retail and institutional, is that they receive high quality financial information. Um, and that's financial information, but also now we're seeing non-financial information, and that can be metrics, including uh, you know climate change inf- information, emission data, etc. You know, investors really are requesting you know, that this information is provided to them on a timely basis, because in, in most cases, you know, the investors actually have to report uh, or this information you know, for their own reporting requirements. Um, I guess no longer is it acceptable for, for a manager to, to launch a new phone and just be able to tick a box to say we have an ESG policy. You know, uh, you know, we're looking to launch a fund today. Uh, investors, and again, institutional and retail, are asking more questions of potential managers, uh, and even those managers that that have existing track records. You know, it's becoming an expectation, uh, as Arnold mentioned, uh, that, that the manager is a, sign, a signatory to the PRI. Um, you know, that they follow some form of framework, whether it be TCFD. You know, and in, and in more often cases, you know, investors are asking the asset management manager or, or, or entity detailed questions about how how they're integrating these ESG factors into their investment strategy, investment process, monitoring, reporting, you know, and even even questions around remuneration and reward structures of key management in relation to some of these factors. Um, I guess, you know, it's interesting part is that we're seeing these, these these type of challenges coming from investors who are investing in funds that are, you know, not the traditional ESG or impact type type, type sectors. It's much wider than that. I, I'd say investors are engaged, uh, you know, and during the next phase of this COVID-19 and, and, and the rollout of the vaccination program, et cetera, 
you know, we're only going to see increased focus on social factors, for example, you know, workforce engagement, diversity, issues of uh, supply chains, etc. Um, that, that, that essentially, you know, investors are going to expect information on. Great. Okay. So we know investors genuinely care about ESG then. So the million dollar question for you, Arnold, is how are they actually incorporating ESG into their investment strategy? Yeah, exactly. And and there are sort of, you know, generally speaking, six types of, uh, of, of, of approaches that or strategies that that investors uh, apply. Um, there is ESG integration, and I will allude to them a little bit. Uh, there is shareholder engagement, there's thematic investments, there is best in class or positive screening, there's the negative or exclusionary screening, and there's impact investing. So those those are typically sort of the six different strategies that um, that investors are, are applying when, when they when they look at integrating sort of you know ESG considerations or ESG factors in, into their investments, um, and and they can be used simultaneously, so they they can be used at the same time sort of you know towards an towards an investment portfolio. Um, certainly, the ESG integration, which is really sort of the the systematically embedding of ESG factors into sort of the traditional investment analysis and decision making, is is the most most prominent and most popular as well as sort of you know the negative or exclusionary screening where you would say um, based on whatever considerations whether it's ethical whether it's norm whether it's it's more moral or whether it's from a from a, a capacity perspective you say I'm not going to invest in certain sectors or in certain companies um, so you're, you're like uh, you know uh, in short you're blacklisting certain uh, certain um, certain entities or certain sectors. Um, those those are the most common and most uh, most often applied uh, approaches. But certainly, um, what you will uh, hear a lot about when we talk about ESG investing is, of course, the thematic investing. So whether it's you know, really investing in into climate related opportunities, um, so it's really around a, a, a theme or you know an ESG theme, whether it's health, whether it's education, whether it is climate, uh, as well as there's there's a lot of growth in in impact investing, which really seeks sort of you know to really have that positive uh, societal or, or uh, environmental uh, uh, return next to financial return. So that's that's definitely a, a category that is that is growing. And in the recent recent research that we did, uh, you know, with uh, um, uh, institutional investors, it was really confirmed that that uh, two thirds of them expect that to grow over the over the next uh, over the next three to five years. Um, you hear a lot, of course, about shareholder engagement, and that's really sort of you know where investors individually or sort of you know collaboratively reach out to their investing companies and try to influence you know their their behaviors or their policies or their approach to to ESG. So whether it's through proxy voting, whether it's to to direct engagement or sort of collaborative engagement, and on, in particularly on climate, you have the the Climate Action Hundred Plus, which is I think one of the most successful collaborative um, um, approaches to. To, um, to um, address climate change specifically at the larger, the largest emitters in the in the world, and, and we're talking about activism there, really, aren't we, from the shareholders? Absolutely. So they are very engaged, and they and they expect certain certain changes, and uh, and and more and more there is you know an, an an understanding that there will be consequences as well, you know, out coming out of of an unsuccessful engagement there. So um, uh, you see sort of you know uh, some form of um, divestment after you know a couple of years of unsuccessful uh, engagement, for example. I mean that's that's a really interesting area because uh, it's something the the PRI picks up on as well the importance of of activism and actually going into a company that's performing poorly and enhancing it 
uh, and ensuring it performs better. And actually, when you look specifically at climate, if we don't do that, we're just not going to achieve what we need to achieve in, in the climate and temperature reduction, right? So the activism piece is is really interesting. I mean, how widespread would you say that sort of shareholder engagement style is versus the, the alternative strategies? Right. Yeah. So it's 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 um, um, less applied, I would say, compared to ESG integration, where sort of, you know, behind the scenes uh, institutional investors are doing their research, uh, doing, for example, due diligence when they when they, you know, um, in, in ESG due diligence, when they when they're thinking about, you know, acquiring an asset. Um, but certainly, I, I would say uh, the, of the larger investors um, um, that, you know, in particular, when you look, for example, at the pension pension uh, space, uh, larger European investors or, or Canadian investors, you know, coming just coming out of Canada, uh, have very active approaches around it and have you know structured approaches around it to actually engage with uh, with with their largest you know um, uh, companies, for example, from a climate perspective or the largest holdings from a, from a climate perspective. Um, and it, and there's there's more and more transparency transparency around it. So um, I think the voting records of you know the larger asset managers on topics like ESG is getting more publicized and is getting gaining more traction as well and could sort of affect also the credibility of, of, of an asset manager when you're speaking you know very highly about the importance of climate change while your voting records you know show something else so that's that's where uh, quite uh, a few of the larger asset managers and and, and have been called out uh, for uh, in 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 recent years yeah increased accountability i suppose it's a difficult one to manage so I suppose that makes sense. I mean, if you're going to do a, a sort of shareholder engagement route and, and take an active role, it's going to be more resource intensive on the manager, right? So realistically, we have to look to the larger asset managers to to take on that that challenge. So just thinking about those different strategies then, uh, and in your experience of helping clients implement them, where have the pitfalls and implementation been and where are the kind of the biggest challenges laid across those strategies and actually bringing them in? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a, that's a great question because I, I think that's uh, where where the rubber, rubber hits the road in the end, right? In terms of how how are you going to actually go from sort of you know these big and lofty goals that that are often sort of agreed upon, you know, into sort of you know making sure that the that the organization in in all it does in all its investment activities is actually delivering on sort of you know the ESG approach. Um, I, I think it, it typically starts with. Um, really defining and uh, what ESG means for for you as an investor. What what do you really find important? Where do you want to put focus on? Which topics? Is it human rights? Is it climate? Is it um, uh, is it biodiversity? Is it something else? Uh, and 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 what what do you want to do? What is your ambition? Are you are you willing or ready to set any targets or objectives? Or do you want to you know uh, pick another approach? So it's it's really thinking through sort of you know what um, are the most relevant ESG topics within sort of you know your investments what does it mean what do we want to do and where do we want to be in three or five years from now and thinking that through um, because you typically are faced with um, you know an, an, an organizational awareness that you know from from the starting point you know is not necessarily aware of all the the ins and outs of of of, of the different ESG topics etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's there's a big learning element is sort of the second point is really sort of you know making sure that 
you know, at the various levels within the organization. So whether it's at the board level, whether it's at the investment committee level, whether it's at the, you know, the, the, the analyst level, making sure that they, you know, understand um, why it is important in the first place, but also what the expectation is that needs to, you know, what needs to be done on a, on a day-to-day basis. And then I think, you know, the, 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 the next challenge, I would say, the third challenge I really see is the, the ramping up of regulation sort of in response to, to greenwashing. And, and Rashid, you alluded to that a little bit in terms of, you know, the labeling of, of, of products, um, you know, out in the market, you know, by, by various asset managers. There's, there's a lot of that going on right now where, where you have ESG-related ETFs or, you know, green bonds or, or other, you know, uh, types of, of instruments. Um, that receive you know more and more scrutiny because you know, the, you know how how strong are the ESG credentials behind it actually, um, and for example the EU regulation you know really uh, the green taxonomy really plays into that. Um, so aligning yourself with you know those new regulations with those new taxonomies that are coming out is I think a big big challenge for for many organisations as well. Yeah, there was one of, one of the interesting points you made there was around uh, having the right skill sets in place. And I know this is a big theme for the EU at the moment when they're talking about sustainable corporate governance. Um, and as part of the wider piece around sustainable regulation, they're talking a lot about board composition and having sustainable skill sets on the board because there's a whole new set of risks that are kind of emerging and coming through that need to be managed and, and overseen as well. So that's really interesting. So I guess if... Uh, if we move on then, say, you know, once you've got the, the SG strategy implemented, I guess the next issue then becomes about tracking that strategy and, and reporting against it. And I suppose, you know, we're talking about ESG, but if we just take one element of it and think about climate, and obviously we've got the recommendations from the, the Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosure, TCFD. So, I mean, firstly, just to sort of start off with that, you know, this is starting to become mandatory in the UK. Um, you know, it's already mandatory in the UK for premium listed companies, and there's a, a consult to roll that out even further. Um, but you've been working in Canada recently, where it's it's been sort of voluntarily adopted quite widely. I mean, give us a sense of you know what the uptake of TCFD was in Canada. Is it quite niche there, or is it kind of widely adopted there? Yeah, I know. So the, the whole reporting angle and 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 transparency, you know, um, also sort of you know driven by by the TCFD recommendations. I think a, a big topic because when when you look at sort of the whole ecosystem of of reporting, right? I mean, for financial intermediaries, it's really important that they have data from report issuers in the first place that they can actually sort of you know track the ESG performance. And I think. When um, when we did some research, sort of uh, with report issuers on sort of you know understanding where they're currently at, um, uh, and and we researched five thousand largest companies in the world, you know, and we saw that you know eighty percent of them is actually sort of issuing an ESG or sustainability report to date. So definitely there is more and more information you know com- becoming available. But then when you when we asked uh, institutional investors last year, we did a survey uh, with with 135 institutional investors globally. What is their what is their biggest challenge on on making sort of you know ESG oriented investments? Half of them cited that the lack of quality ESG data is 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 their biggest challenge in making ESG oriented investments. So it's very clear that yes, there is you know more information becoming available, but it's still sort of you know the, the quality is lacking there and is trailing sort of you know for you know really informing um, an investment decision. So it's 
there is, you know, and, and it varies, of course, per asset class. I would say, you know, within within public equities, there's there's much more information available. But then, if you if you look at other asset classes, uh, um, uh, you know, it, it becomes less so available. For example, you know, if you if you think about private equity or you know uh, private credit or sort of other uh, other areas that uh, that uh, that investors really are looking for, you know, integration of ESG considerations. Then, if you look specifically at at the TCFD recommendations, which really came into into place to into play to really help to inform regulators and and supervisors to understand sort of you know climate risk um, to the financial stability um, and and one of the biggest challenges with climate change is really that the markets are not currently pricing climate correctly so that is that is it that is the big challenge and it all starts again sort of you know with that ecosystem where report issuers you know have to start disclosing climate data and climate information that is then being used by financial intermediaries, including sort of institutional investors, that is then used in the next layer sort of, you know, by, by supervisors and regulators to actually sort of, you know, make that assessment on, on how climate risk is sort of, you know, being addressed and, and, and you know, being a risk uh, to, the, to the financial stability. So currently, I think we are very early on in the journey, although the recommendations have been out there for quite a while. They've been widely adopted by many institutional investors. I think um, the 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 drive really behind the the TCFD recommendations is is largely coming from from institutional investors that are really keen on understanding climate risks in their portfolio. Uh, but then when you look at at the actual disclosures, um, I think we're early on in the in in, in the journey. Yeah, that's interesting. So. I guess this whole area of, of metrics and reporting and disclosure is really challenging. Say, so I guess proceed. If we just talk about the risks around metrics, say, if we just bring this back, and if you're, a, say, a non-exec director sat on the board of a fund and you're going to start reporting TCFD metrics uh, around your performance, what should you really be concerned about as a board member? Again, yeah, good, good question, Harry. As a board member, certainly you, you, you're going to be very concerned with uh, essentially what you need is information to allow you to make an assessment of the impact of ESG risks. Um, and you need that information, whether it be metrics, to be clear and transparent. And I think that's one of the, the key challenges. Uh, and certainly Arnold has touched on it in terms of quality. Um, you know, there's, there's quality, there's comparability and consistency. And we are seeing... You know, we have come a long way in terms of comparability and consistency. Frameworks such as TCFD, the PRI, um, and I saw the announcement uh, earlier in the month from from the IF, sorry, the IRF, the IFRS Foundation uh, moving ahead with forming or, or looking to form the International Sustainability Standards Board. You know, things like that are really promising developments in this space. Um, but, but you know, granted that there's a lot of work still to be done, and again, the real challenge is is around data, and that, that's that's the biggest the biggest challenge. Um, you know, if we look at something like climate change as an example, you know, it's probably the one of the the more widely disclosed social social um, sorry metrics. Um, and if you think about many of the countries do actually have some kind of mandatory reporting currently around that, uh, you know, whether that's annual annual reporting through, through financial statements or other, other forms, you know, it is possible for, for boards to put in place controls, processes to, to allow them to capture the data, you know, and certainly firms such as, as, as KPMG are able to then go and provide assurance over some of those metrics. Um, 
the real issue though is you know it, it, it's, it's transparency it, it's you know, the methodology around reporting on direct admissions which 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 entities control versus the indirect admissions where where the entities do not necessarily control them so it could be a, a fund that has a an investee company and it's getting the data you know and valuing and pricing that correctly is one of the key challenges for companies um, and I guess as we were preparing for this for this podcast, you know, we were talking about the concept of avoided emissions, and that's that's certainly one red flag to think about. You know, co- companies taking credit for for not participating in activities with high polluting actions. So, for example, um, you could get a scenario where a fund is deploying capital into uh, into a to, to a solar project, and it might there, then be claiming that um, you know. That, because they're, they're, they're investing in a solar project and not an oil company, for example, they're saving on emissions and using that to, to, to claim against their, their net zero targets. So, so there's a whole, you know, I, I, I guess something that, that, that needs to be looked at as part of this, this process. Um, but I guess to sum that up, data is a massive challenge. Yeah, I think they're all pretty valid points, aren't they? I mean, we talk about greenwashing quite a lot, but when we boil down what, what greenwashing is, I mean, to an extent, we're talking about a level of fraud around disclosure. Um, and whilst that may be occurring, you know, typically the risk of error is always going to be higher. So I think the accuracy of those metrics that come out is a real challenge for boards, especially when it's information a fund might be providing to investors. The scope for making error in reporting those has got to be significant. And you really want to have some sort of control and process around that to make sure that it's not. Okay, guys, so just conscious of time. So last question uh, to you, Arnold. So having talked through ESG and, and adopting it into strategy, what are the risks for the investor that doesn't incorporate ESG into their strategy? Yeah, this is, this is I think, uh, looking at sort of, you know, the, the what I said at the onset, sort of, you know, around societal expectations, I think this is a, this is a big question, right? I, th- I think it's really... Um, the biggest risk, in my my view, uh, for an investor not acting on on ESG, is really you know becoming out of step with whether it's your beneficiaries, whether it's your employees, whether it's your clients, um, and not using sort of you know the time I think that you that you have right now to experiment, to build capacity, to really sort of you know try out different approaches and 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 getting an understanding of how ESG is actually helping sort of you know with your your risk management or how ESG is actually or could actually bring sort of you know the alpha opportunity i think is 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 such a is such a missed opportunity um that that you know will 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 hurt you i think in or could hurt you in 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 many ways um i, I you know with working with asset owners I, I see increasingly for example that they incorporate ESG expectations into sort of you know the the mandates that they set out with external managers and um, so there's there is um in my opinion sort of you know and no no way you 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 are not working on this right now i mean you're you're really missing out and 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 you're you're actually hurting your 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 business opportunity and 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 your your viability over the over the, over the medium term already i would say given sort of you know the 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 growth in in ESG expectations. I think in in five or ten years from now we will we won't be talking about an ESG analyst anymore. I think it will be sort of you know become part of what what a, what a regular analyst is doing. So um, the time to prepare for that is is now, and uh, and uh, uh, that that would be my recommendation. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's a really fair reflection of, of where we're at now. I guess, you know, ESG used to be a bit of a niche, but it's just completely widely adopted and impacting every investment decision now, or at least it should be. And it's definitely going to be a huge part of the, of the regulatory landscape going forward as well. I mean, we've seen the UK going great guns for TCFD. They're just going to be the first of many jurisdictions, I'm sure. So, okay, on that note then, thank you very much for joining me, both of you. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking about this quite a lot in the, in the near future. And thank you very much to our listeners as always. So bye for now. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. If you'd like to learn more about KPMG Impact or discuss your ESG business needs with our team, please visit our website in the link in the podcast summary. Thank you for listening. See you next time.